everyone and welcome back to another Year 3 recording. Today's topic is The Seizing Child. My name's Tom Condon. And I'm Loan Yuan. So just a disclaimer again, the content in this PowerPoint was developed with a view to be used as an educational tool. It's completed by myself and Tom and it is not reflective of Linda's University Medical School nor the curriculum. You will have noticed for this episode we've started to use an introduction and we'll be using an outro as well. This is music recorded by one of our talented classmates, Ben Green, and his band Move to Strike. And we thank him for letting us use his music on our recordings. So for today's recording, we're going to start off and talk about febrile seizures and the definition of what a seizure is. We'll then go into the differentials for a seizure in the paediatric population, talk about the different types and classifications of seizures and the different seizure disorders that you should know for third year. So the definition of a seizure, according to UpToDate, is a clinical expression of abnormal excessive synchronous discharges of neurons primarily in the cerebral cortex. Boy, that's a mouthful. It involves abnormal paroxysmal activity and is usually self-limiting. Typically, it will last seconds to a few minutes, five to ten minutes maximum, although status epilepticus, the most severe type of seizure, can last longer than this. Simply put, seizures are abnormal electrical discharge within the brain. So, Tom, let's start with the case. Jessica is a two-year-old toddler who has presented to the paediatric emergency department. You are the emergency department registrar. Her parents are with her and they look very worried. Jessica is conscious but irritable. Her father tells you they have taken an ill Jessica to the GP yesterday. The GP thought it was an upper respiratory tract infection and had advised rest and fluids. Jessica seemed to be alright until this afternoon when she was playing on the floor and her arms and legs all of a sudden started jerking. So Luan, what are the potential causes and what other information would So once you hear someone has fallen over unconscious and is jerking, obviously seizures is a top differential. However, we need to consider other causes. This may include cardiogenic, cyanosis, cyanotic breath holding spells, infantile syncope or just staring spells or behavioural inattentiveness. So let's go through that list again. Cardiogenic causes occur when the cardiac output suddenly drops and syncope occurs. Other causes of cyanosis which lead to poor oxygenation can also cause syncope, both of which when the patient first hits the floor they may have a few myoclonic jerks which may appear like a seizure. Similarly, infants sometimes do a cyanotic breath hold. This can be as a response to a tan and can also give a similar appearance. And remembering, not all seizures present with myoclonic-type jerks. Some of them, such as absent seizures, can look like they're just staring off into the distance. Sometimes this can be a behavioural problem that mimics an absent seizure and they can be interrupted. So in Jessica's history, we will be interested in focusing on the onset of the seizure, past history of seizures, any medication she may be on, specifically any anti-epileptic drugs, past medical history, any associated symptoms, and a history from the witnesses or collateral history from parents. So we would be looking for features in the history which would make seizure more likely, such as urinary incontinence, although in young children this may be less straightforward, tongue biting, and whether after their collapse there was a post-ictal phase where they were confused. Once again, in the very young child, this can be very difficult to distinguish. If there's been seizures in the past, this is always helpful as you can get some more information from previous admissions. In her past medical history, we would want to know her vaccination history as well as any significant illnesses. So often in seizure, all we have to go by is the history as often the child might be normal by the time they reach hospital. So the point of the history is to go through in your own mind how likely is this to be a seizure and could it be any of the other mimics. In a child who has presented to hospital and is conscious after the episode, it is important in the physical exam to assess
assess their level of consciousness, level of activity, ask the parents if they are back to their usual self, assess their vitals, do a complete head, eyes, ears, nose and throat examination, a full neurological examination and also do a cardiac exam, check for evidence of incontinence or urinary tract infections. You would also want to fully expose them to look for any injuries. You would also want to examine the skin for any signs of petechial rash that may indicate infection and also for any cafe au lait spots that may indicate neurofibromatosis or large hematomas which may be indicative of Churg-Strauss. These are less common and basically you just want to fully examine the child and look for anything that doesn't look normal. The way I like to break down the causes of seizures is due to neurotransmitter defects and this might be a genetic type cause or a developmental cause so this might be something like epilepsy or one of the epilepsy syndromes a metabolic derangement so this could be due to elevated fever electrolyte disturbances such as hyponatremia or hypocalcemia and it can also include hypoglycemia and lastly we think about structural intracranial type lesions this can be things like a bleed from trauma it can also be ischemia which would be rare in the child and lastly infections such as abscess or something like meningitis or encephalitis those three categories again are neurotransmitter metabolic and structural in jessica's case she's a two-year-old she had an associated upper respiratory tract infection febrile convulsions would be one of our top differentials typically we consider febrile convulsions or febrile seizures to affect children between six months and six years. Generally children below the age of six months have not got an immune system which is developed enough to get a fever high enough to cause a seizure. Six years is generally the cutoff of what paediatricians consider that children can still get a seizure occurring from an elevated temperature alone. So just some statistics on febrile seizures. They can occur in about 3% of normally healthy children and can reoccur in a third of these children. They are generally considered benign and they generally present as generalised tonic-clonic seizures. They are usually simple, so they last less than 15 minutes. So it occurs in 3% of normally healthy children, but of these children that do get it, a third recur. So we should tell all parents who have had a child with a febrile seizure that their child may have another febrile seizure in a subsequent illness. So in a child who has experienced a febrile seizure, it is important to find the cause of it. We must do the history and examination with a focus on finding the cause and treating its etiology. Remembering some of these children, whilst the febrile seizure may be benign in itself, they may be very sick and perhaps even septic. A child with a typical febrile seizure will have no focal neurological signs. If there is focal neurological signs found or evidence of meningitis which we'll cover next then that needs to be entertained as a serious but not to be missed diagnosis. In a child who is febrile and seizing we must consider meningitis or encephalitis as a cause. So the typical symptoms that we know in adults to meningitis is neck stiffness and photophobia although sometimes this is difficult to elicit in a young child. We should also look for evidence of a headache, diarrhea, vomiting, abdominal pain or joint symptoms, remembering the meningococcal particular rash that should not be missed. Luckily, due to vaccination schemes for the pneumococcal as well as haemophilus influenza, meningitis is less prevalent than it once was. So, Luan, do you know what the most common causative organism is for meningitis in these days? The most causative organisms for meningitis include E. coli, Staph aureus, 
and Neisseria meningitidis. So in Jessica's case, she had a preceding upper respiratory tract infection, so that may be a cause of meningitis if the bugs have translocated. However, bacterial meningitis is far less common than viral meningitis. Remember, any child who is presented with a seizure and a fever and has focal neurological signs should be considered for meningitis. And part of this would be performing a lumbar puncture to see what organisms may be present, as well as checking the glue the specific gravity and the lactate dehydrogenase. You would not always routinely perform a lumbar puncture on a child with fever. If you were to perform a lumbar puncture on all children who present with just a fever and a seizure, you would only pick up about 1% of those cases having meningitis. It is not routine practice to give everyone a lumbar puncture. Also consider that if there is an infectious cause likely, you would not delay treatment and you may give antibiotics before considering a lumbar puncture. So now just a brief overview of epilepsy. Epilepsy is defined as the patient having at least two unprovoked seizures occurring more than 24 hours apart or having the formal diagnosis of an epilepsy syndrome by a neurologist. Epilepsy can be due to the sequelae of some structural lesions. This may include CNS infection, stroke or traumatic brain injury. Although this would not be the norm, most people with the diagnosis of epilepsy will have a normal appearing brain on MRI. So Luana and I debated about whether to have this next part of the material on childhood epileptic syndromes. I didn't think it was that important, although Luan tells me that Dr. Tan has emphasised them, so we better at least list them so they're there if you want to look further into them. These include infantile spasms, Lennox-Gastaut, juvenile myoclonic epilepsy or Yarn syndrome, benign focal epilepsy of childhood with Rolandic spike, and childhood absence epilepsy. I think that I only recognise the childhood absence seizure out of all of them and I think the rest of them is just some old guys that wanted to have something named after them. Of course, childhood absence epilepsy is an important diagnosis to be made. It often masquerades as a behavioural problem in the classrooms and teachers just think that the child is not paying attention. The key features are that the episodes are short and last less than 30 seconds and they don't have the typical postictal state that many other seizures have. And Dr Tan likes to ask what the characteristic EEG will show and that's the 3 hertz spike and wave. Of course, there is no way that I knew that or will ever remember that. After being asked it. Well, Luan might. So let's get back onto some more core content and things that I think will be tested. So I always get this confused. People talk about focal and generalised, which seems straightforward, but then they say simple and complex. And then sometimes people like to call focal seizures partial seizures. And then at that point, I'm lost at you know what naming convention we should be using. So vocal seizures are the same as partial seizures. They usually originate from one area of the brain, so one hemisphere, and they are associated with or without impairment of consciousness. So if if the patient remains conscious throughout the entire seizure, this is considered simple. If the patient loses consciousness, this is considered complex. Right, so then generalised must affect both sides, and this can be the convulsive ones, which we're more familiar with, the tonic-clonic, or it can be non-convulsive. The different types of seizure can be absence, myoclonic, tonic, clonic, atonic, and a combination of tonic-clonic. So a lot of those words sound the same, so we should probably define them. So myoclonic and clonic seizures may sound very similar. Myoclonic seizures involve an extremely brief, less than 0.1 second muscle contraction and can cause jerky movements of muscles or muscle groups, whereas clonic seizures are myoclonus that are regularly repeating at a rate typically of 2 to 3 per second. And of course atonic is generalised loss of tone or collapse. 
So we should know that it all starts with, did the patient lose consciousness or not? If they did, that's a complex seizure. If they did not, it is simple. And then, did it affect a small part of the body or a large part of the body on both sides? So that would be a focal or a partial or the generalised, which affects both sides of the body. Remembering, seizures may start focal and then become generalised. And lastly, we should characterise the type of seizure activity seen. This can be absent seizures, myoclonic, Tonic, clonic, atonic, tonic, clonic. Aren't you confused? So are we. But it's worthwhile getting these terminology correct and then you sound like you know what you're talking about. So let's talk about a few investigations we may order. This may include a full blood count, a fasting blood glucose, electrolytes, particularly focusing on calcium and magnesium, an ESR, creatinine, liver enzymes, creatinine kinase, prolactin and a toxicology screen. For adults, this may include alcohol, less likely in children, and if the patient takes anti-epileptic drugs, we need to have a level done. A CT or an MRI may be done, a lumbar puncture and an EEG. Well, that's quite a list, but remembering the patient with a febrile seizure doesn't require any of these necessarily, and each of these should be ordered responsibly based on what you think is happening and with a clear aim of how it may change your management. Checking for BGL should be done routinely but other than that ordering a CBC is not necessary unless the child is sick enough to warrant admission. It is nice to avoid unnecessary invasive tests in these children and if we need to get a blood test we can check for all these things. Imaging is only called for in a small percentage of cases as is lumbar puncture. This is particularly for intracranial lesions and when there is suspicion of CNS infection. EEG is the last investigation we did talk about and this is not always readily available in the acute seizing patient. It is more indicated for complex seizures and remembering this is in patients who have lost consciousness for a prolonged period of time. So let's have a little break from febrile seizures and let's go on to an exam tip. Last year we had an OSCE station of a managing a child who's come in with a seizure. You are asked to give them a drug and to perform any necessary airway manoeuvres. With that in mind, let's review management of the active seizing child. So in an actively seizing child, you must remember doctors ABC. Check Check for dangers, check for response, send for help, manage their airways, manage their breathing and ventilation, check for circulation and establish IV access if possible. Although in this case, many children will probably not need IV access as many of the medications can be given intramuscular or intranasal. So Tom, in a child who is actively seizing, what drug would you give? So the correct answer for basically any seizing patient is start with benzos, benzos, benzos. I would not recommend at this stage memorising a dose, but I would be familiar with the benzo often used in children, which is midazolam. So you'd want to give this through the preferred route, and this may initially be intranasally, and then waiting for five minutes before re-administering. If the patient's having ongoing seizures past this point, you can use other medications such as phenytoin or phenobarbitone. I would not think that this would be something commonly tested, although it's helpful to be aware of these medications and that knowing that they are second line. So in supporting their breathing and ventilation, we need to put nasal specs on the patient and administer some oxygen. You would want to remove any objects which may cause harm to the patient, as well as putting them in recovery position once the seizure has ceased. Remembering, most of these are self-limiting and short, so all you need to do is the basics. It is not uncommon for parents to be given take-home midazolam to give intranasally as a way of ceasing seizures in children with problematic seizures. So just an overview of the medications that are common in practice. 
This includes midazolam and diazepam. Midazolam is preferred because of the route of administration. It can be given intranasally or under the tongue, as well as intramuscularly, as opposed to diazepam, which requires IV access or intraosseous. Remember the second line agents we talked about before, phenytoin and phenobarbital. Both of these require intravenous or intraosseous. For third year, do not remember the doses of these drugs, but be aware of them. And lastly, we'll talk about maintenance prophylactic drugs to prevent seizure onset. So what are these, Lauren? So for generalised or partial onset and then progressing to generalised seizures, these include lamotrigine, levetiracetam, or Kephra, sodium valproate. For partial seizures, this can include carbamazepine, phenytoin, pregabalin, or gabapentine. And for absent seizures, this is ethosuximide. Some of these drugs are quite hard to pronounce, so let's go through them again. So the common ones you will see is sodium valproate, which is given mostly for first-line generalised seizures. Other common medications for the generalised are the levetiracetam or Kephra, or lamotrigine. The partial ones, the most common popular drug for a partial seizure is carbamazepine. Other ones used are phenytoin, pregabalin, and gabapentin. And then lastly, absent seizures have a drug all of their own, and that's ethosuximide. I think Luan might be having a lingual seizure. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing we want to talk about is a brief definition of status epilepticus. This is defined as unremitting seizure or successive seizures without return to a baseline state of greater than five minutes. The most common cause for this is failure to take anti-epileptic drugs and it is considered a medical emergency. So status epilepticus, the seizure that won't go away or not return to baseline for longer than five minutes. Right, so that about wraps it up. There's been a lot of content covered and the key thing for all third years to know is febrile seizures and the important differentials. This is covered in third year in a paediatric PBL case and has come up for us in the past as a previous OSCE station managing the actively seizing child. It is important to know about seizures and we would like to thank you for your time.